several messages out of Psalm 78. Somebody said you could always tell where, Dr. where Brother Lester Roloff was reading his Bible because he would always preach a bunch of messages around that. And I guess uh, you could say the same with your pastor tonight. I can't get out of Psalm 78, man. It's just, there's so much. I mean, there's just so much in here. And a number, a number, a number of weeks ago, I preached uh, probably one or two messages from Psalm 78. And during that time, God had spoke to my heart about this message. And so for the last weeks and weeks, it's been cooking and marinating and I've been thinking about it. And I'm going to give you a lesson tonight. That's really what it is, more, of a, more than a, a message. It's really a lesson tonight. And a little bit of speculation maybe, maybe a little speculation. I don't think much. I think most of what we're going to show you tonight is going to be straight from the Word of God. But I want to talk to you tonight about the subject you see on the screen, signs and wonders that point toward the end. And, and so I want you to look, if you will, Psalm 78, when you find your, bio, uh, find your place, if you'll stand tonight, and we're going to read several verses this evening, maybe a little bit more than we normally would. Psalm 78, and I want to encourage you, this is a long psalm, but go back in your devotions and read this whole thing. It is so great. Psalm 78, verse 1 says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in His law and forgot His works, and his wonders, notice those words there, and forgot his works and his wonders that he showed them. Look at verse 12, our text verse tonight. The Bible says, Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan, or Zoan. Now I want you to skip down, if you will, to verse number 43. Don't forget what the Bible just said in verse number 12. In verse number 43, it almost sounds like the same exact verse. Verse 43, how he had wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan and had turned their rivers into blood and their floods that they could not drink. He sent divers sorts of flies among them which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. He gave also their increase under the caterpillar and their labor under the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore trees with frost. He gave up their cattle also to the hail and their flocks to hot thunderbolts. He cast upon them the fierceness of his anger, wrath and indignation and trouble by sending evil angels among them. He made a way to his anger 
He spared not their soul from death, but gave their life over to the pestilence. You may be seated tonight. And just for a few minutes, I want to give you a lesson on signs and wonders that I believe are pointing toward the end. Now, you'll never hear, you'll never hear this preacher give you a date. Uh, the Bible says no man knows the day and no man knows the hour. And if anybody tells you they know the exact time when Jesus is coming, you better run from them as fast as you can. And nobody knows that day. Nobody knows the hour. But I do believe this. I believe that God... I believe that God is giving us some road signs. I believe that God is giving us some signals. And not that we're looking for them. You know, we ought to be, we ought to be ready for the coming of the Lord without a sign. And so somebody says, well, as soon as I see a sign, we ought not be looking for a sign. You ought to be ready. I mean, you ought to be living for Jesus Christ. And so this message ought not, you know, I'm not, not really preaching this message necessarily to, to try to get somebody you know, in the service of the Lord or back in the will of God. Don't wait for a sign. Go ahead and get in the will of the Lord now and decide to serve God now while you have time. But I do believe this. I believe that our time is limited. I believe our time is limited. And I believe if, if we have ever been serious about serving the Lord Jesus Christ, we had better be serious right now. And so some signs and wonders that point toward the end. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and We'll jump into the lesson tonight. Father, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for the privilege to be back at Calvary tonight. Lord, I pray now that you would settle us down. And uh, Lord, I've already heard tonight, we have people that are tired. We, we always do on Wednesday night. People have worked a long, hard day. And uh, I sure get it, Lord. I pray that even right now, supernaturally, that you would give them an extra dose of energy and stamina and that they would be able to to not only listen, but God, I pray that they'd be able to, to, to get something tonight from your word. So Father, give us power. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll clear the way. I pray, Father, that you'd bind the powers of darkness. And Lord, we plead the precious, the precious shed blood of Jesus over the service, over the people, over this preacher, and over the message that we'll bring tonight. Lord, knit our hearts together. Save that one that's lost and undone without Jesus and encourage that child of God that's a little discouraged tonight. And God, I pray that we'll all be ready for the coming of the Lord. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And for his sake and all God's people said, amen. Verse number 12 is our text tonight. And the Bible says, marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the field of Zoan. Marvelous things. That phrase, marvelous things, or that word marvelous it's not doesn't mean necessarily wonderful blessings. That's not what it means. But rather, it means that they, these things, these signs, these wonders made the people marvel in wonder. It wasn't always that these things were a tremendous blessing to the people. But as these things unfolded, as God unpackaged these things in Egypt, they made the people marvel in wonder. But with that said, verses 13 through 29 are in fact a record of great blessings that God bestowed upon Israel. We'll not go back and read all that scripture tonight, but I would encourage you to go back and, and read that about how God uh, sent the cloud in the desert to cover them from the sun and how God sent the fire by night to keep them warm and to guide them and how God uh, claved the rock asunder, brought the waters and, and all the blessings, the manna and, and the quail 
And I love it how the Bible says that, that God sent an east wind. He blew them this way, and then he sent a south wind, blew them straight down into the camp. Uh, great thing. Verses 13 through 29 are, that, is that record of blessings that God bestowed upon Israel. But then we make our way to verse number 43. And the Bible says how he had wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan. Zoan. What is Zoan? Well, basically, Zoan was the home of Pharaoh. In fact, I think I've got, yeah, I've got a, a slide here tonight just to sort of give some bearing. Zoan was the home of Pharaoh. We would say it like this. The president of the United State, States lives in Washington, D.C., he resides in the White House in Washington, D.C. And that's what, that, that's what the Bible is saying there, that, that Pharaoh dwelt in a place called Zoan. It was, uh, it was located in lower Egypt and positioned along the beautiful Nile River. And this place called Zoan, the field of Zoan, that place that, that Pharaoh, uh, his residence, this is that place that God poured out his judgment upon Egypt. And whereas verses 13 through 29 are a record of blessings, great blessings upon the Israelites, verses 44 through 51 are a record of terrible judgments, what the Bible calls marvelous, marvelous judgments that God poured out upon Egypt. And by the way, you study your Bible, you'll find out that Egypt is always a type of the world. It always is. And so here God is blessing his people, verses 13 through 29. But then verses 44 through 51, God is judging the world or the known world at that time. And I have to believe this. I have to believe that Pharaoh, when he saw all these things beginning to happen, he saw these natural things. And I, and I started to title it that tonight, how God sends judgment through natural things. When Pharaoh began to see these natural things as they took on supernatural significance, I have to believe that Pharaoh, although he rebelled, and the Bible says his heart was hardened, I have to believe that Pharaoh knew the end was near. I believe that, it, you know what, he, he, maybe he didn't want to admit it, but I believe that Pharaoh knew that Moses' words were not empty words. These things were coming to pass, just like Moses said they would. For years and years and years now, preachers have been preaching that the coming of the Lord is near, that you better get ready, that Jesus is coming. The rapture of the church is coming. The second coming is on its way. And we've been preaching that, that Christ will soon appear and that Christ will surely appear. But may I say tonight, Calvary Baptist Church, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are closer than we have ever been in our lives. I believe the coming of the Lord is near. I believe it's near. I believe I'll show you that tonight, that the coming of the Lord is near. Now, we're not going to set any dates tonight, but uh, we do know this. We know that some of these same marvelous works and marvelous judgments that were pronounced upon Egypt uh, during these days will come back again before too awful long. Some of the same exact plagues that God brought upon Zoan and Egypt are going to be brought back into this world again. And personally, I believe that we are beginning to see the stages of those things making their way back in. I believe the stage is being set. Now, what I'm going to give you tonight, maybe a little bit of conspiracy, maybe, but I don't think so. 
And, uh, but I'm just going to give you some things that God's been dealing with my heart about here the last little bit. What are some of those marvelous wonders that God performed in the field of Zoan? Can I give you a few of those tonight? Number one, we notice, first of all, that he made the water undrinkable. Now, look, if you will, please, at Psalm 78 and verse number 44. The Bible says, and had turned their rivers into what? into blood and their floods that they could not drink. In fact, you go back to the book of Exodus and you read it, Exodus chapter 7, and you'll find out that the Egyptians were having a hard time finding drinkable water. In fact, our Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 7, verse number 24, that they were having to dig wells away from the river to try to find water that they could drink. Exodus 7, 24, and all the Egyptians digged round about the river for water to drink, for they could not drink of the waters of the river. And I said that to say this, did you know that that plague is coming again? That, that is not the last time that plague is going to show itself. Just as sure as I'm standing here tonight, and just as sure as you are here tonight, you mark the word of God, that plague is going to make its way back on this earth again. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. You can jot it down. Revelation chapter 8 and verse number 10 says, And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Now, this is talking about the tribulation period. And during the tribulation period, the Bible tells us that this star, Wormwood, is going to fall on a large part of the fresh waters, and it's going to make those waters bitter. Now, men are going to drink from those waters, and it's going to make their stomachs bitter. It's going to make them sick as they drink from that water, and many will even die. Revelation chapter 11 Verses five and six says it like this. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power <coughs> over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Now you believe what you want to believe, but personally I believe this, that the that the commodity of real value during the tribulation period will be fresh water. People will not fight over gold. I don't believe they'll fight over oil. I believe that that thing that people will fight over more than any other thing in the tribulation, seven years of tribulation period, will be fresh drinking water. We know that a third part of the waters are going to become bitter, and then the Bible says as those witnesses come, God sends his witnesses that many of the waters are going to be turned to blood. Now I want to tell, you, tell us tonight that people can survive without a lot of things. You can survive without air conditioning. You can survive without television. Hey, young people, I know you don't believe this, but you can survive without a cell phone. There was a day when us dinosaurs... Didn't know what a cell phone was. And yet somehow we made it. We survived. We survived. You can celebrate. Uh, you, can, uh, you can survive without a, without a cell phone. You can survive without Facebook. 
But there is one thing that you cannot survive without. You cannot survive without water. Uh, experts tell us that people can go probably, uh, probably, uh, probably uh, three weeks without eating any food. And, uh, of course, you'd be emaciated. And, and uh, you'd, you'd be suffering from starvation, but you'd still be alive after three weeks without, without food. But they also tell us this, that only the, the, the average human will only last three to four days without fresh drinking water. Now, this, here's the thing. That plague is going to come back again. I wouldn't want to be in the tribulation period for nothing in the world. And people say, well, you know what? We're living in the tribulation now. No, we're not either. You can just go right out here to the water fountain and you can get you fresh water out of that water fountain. You can go down here to the, to the store and you can buy you a case of waters and, and you've got plenty to drink. Uh, but there is coming a day in that seven-year tribulation period when water will become undrinkable. Now, all you ladies, hold on to your hat. And especially that little red-headed lady out there tonight. You're going to love, love, love this next one. Not only did he make water undrinkable, but number two, he made the insects and reptiles innumerable. Now look back at our scripture, Psalm 78. Oh, it's going to get a lot better than that. Just hang on just for a little bit, all right? Psalm 78, verse 45. The Bible says he sent diverse sorts of flies among them, which devoured them, and frogs, which destroyed them. I want to deal with that first one, flies. The Bible says he sent diverse sorts of flies among them. I've always wondered about that judgment, uh, and maybe I'm not the only one. I've always thought, you know, what, it, what is it about flies that could devour? I mean, uh, aggravate, aggravating, yes, they're so aggravating. You get a fly or two in your house, and Sometimes you just have to stop and you have to get the fly swat. And you, and, and you say, that thing's going to drive me crazy. If I don't kill it, it's going to drive me crazy. And I understand that flies can be, uh, they can be aggravating. But I wonder uh, why the Bible says that they actually devoured the people. And by the way, don't forget that the Bible says that he sent divers sorts of flies. I looked that word up and I was already heading this direction anyway. I was already thinking about this, and I thought, I'm going to study that out. I'm going to look that up. And I looked up that word, that Hebrew word for flies, and the Hebrew word means this. It means mosquitoes. Mosquitoes. He sent diverse sorts of flies among them, and look what it says. The Bible says, which devoured them. I studied that out as well, and it means to burn up or to eat up. You ever heard somebody say this? We were outside last night and I got ate up. That happens in our house all the time. I think my wife's allergic to mosquitoes. I mean, honestly, I'm not, I'm not picking about that. I mean, it, there's something about her. They, they like me, but they love her. I mean, they just, and some of you folks know what I'm talking about. And, and, you, and you go out at night and, and it just seems like they are all over you and you're swatting and trying to get them off of you. And have you ever done this? Have you ever, have you ever been bitten so bad? And, and have you ever itched so bad that you just couldn't rest? And, and I mean, it happened this week. We were working outside, and I had been working out for a while, and it, and it was warm. One day, uh, early, well, maybe it was the last of last week, 
and it was warm, and I was uh, doing a little project, and I was already sweaty, and both hands were pretty much taken up, and the mosquitoes were just driving me berserk. I mean, they were landing on me, and I was trying to swat them and get them off, and, and, and the next day, sure enough, man, I mean, it just bites up and down my arm, and how many know they love to get you right there on the elbow, amen, and just itching, and I thought, man, I just, I cannot quit scratching. I mean, they, they itch so bad. You say, preacher, why are you telling that? I believe it's going to happen again. Not only flies, but y'all are going to love this one. The Bible says frogs. Now, I looked that one up too. And that Hebrew word, when it says frogs, it is the idea of a swamp. Swampy. It means this. The literal word means marsh hopper. My wife... <laughs> She'll have, she'll have nightmares tonight. You wait and see. There's something, there's something called a camelback cricket. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And, when, and we call it a hopper. That's what we call it at our house, a hopper. And my wife hates those things. I mean, she absolutely hates them. And, uh, and I know her sister, they're two peas in a pod, you know. And but you, know, you know what the Bible is saying here? That one of these days that this plague is, is going to come back. And I believe this, that when, when this plague came upon Egypt, no doubt the, the, the Nile River had become a breeding ground for mosquitoes and reptiles. And, and the Bible says here that the frogs or the reptiles, the Bible says that it destroyed them. It destroyed them. I looked that up and I thought, how does a frog, how does a frog, how does a marsh hopper destroy you? And it literally is the idea that they were everywhere. Everywhere you turned, there was a marsh hopper. Every time you pulled back the bed, they were in the bed. Every time you opened the refrigerator, they were hopping all over the refrigerator. Every time you opened the oven, they were, I mean, literally, they were everywhere. You get in the car and they'd be all over you. You know what I'm talking about? Or maybe the camel. You'd get on the camel and they were all over you, you know. And just, I mean, they were, they were just, they were everywhere. And so we, we notice here that God is using these insects, but let's fast forward to modern day. Honestly, I believe we're beginning to see the stage being set. Now, I don't know how it is at y'all's house, but honestly, at our house, we can't hardly go outside without getting eat up by mosquitoes. They are everywhere. I mean, you're having to knock them off the babies. You're having to, you're having to, to put off all over yourself. I mean, you're having to, to burn candles. I mean, it just seems like uh, if they could, the mosquitoes would literally come and just carry you off. And, uh, and, and listen to this. The Bible says in Psalm 78, 46, he gave also their increase under the caterpillar and their labor under the locust. Now, one thing, one thing is definite. We can agree and disagree, but one thing is definite that God used tiny insects to judge the earth. And he's going to do it again. Has anyone noticed this? Maybe I'm the only one. Has anyone noticed that it seems like, at least to me, that the fire ant population is growing? When I was a kid, we had ant hills, but we, man, we ran around half the time. We didn't have shoes on. We, we just run through the field and be barefooted. 
And I can't really remember ever having to worry about fire ant heels. I'm talking about, listen, I'm not talking about just ants. I'm talking about ants that will wear you out if you get in their heel. And now, at least at our house, I find myself every year I'm having to treat my yard on a regular basis because my grandkids can't even play in the yard. If you get in one of these ant heels, they're up in your shoes and on your legs and they're stinging you and biting you. And, 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 and so I've been treating, I'm just, I've, I've been treating our yard uh, front and back and all those. And I noticed, you know what they've done? They've moved across the road. And my wife and I walk and we, we literally count scores. They're visible. You can see them coming up out of the ground. Scores and scores of fire ant heels all the way down the road. Conspiracy? Maybe. You know what I believe? I believe that God is preparing this earth for tribulation. And I believe that when tribulation takes place, that these little insects, maybe now they're not at least causing us a lot of harm, but I believe that during the tribulation period, those insects are going to be such a force to be reckoned with that people won't be able to rest. They won't enjoy life. In fact, I went on and I started studying this out just a little bit and I thought, well, maybe I'm just imagining this. Maybe this is something I'm just sort of formulating in my mind until I found an article by Texas A&M University. And they were doing a Q&A type article and someone sent a question in and said, we didn't used to have fire ants when I was a kid. Why do we have them now? And this article from Texas A&M said this, red imported fire ants are a very aggressive, efficient competitor ant species. Since the 1950s in Texas, the ant has been spreading north, west, and south. They now infest the more than the, the eastern two-thirds of the state and some urban areas in western Texas. The bad news is that they're probably here to stay. Red and black imported fire ants are native to South America and they were accidentally, quote, accidentally introduced in the U.S. through the port of Mobile, Alabama, probably in soil used for ships ballast and have been spreading since. Now again, we're going to go to this next point. But we know one of the things that God did, one of the marvelous works that he did was he made these insects innumerable, uncontrollable. They, they were everywhere. They were biting people. They were devouring people. They were, literally, they were literally destroying people's way of life. And I believe that in the tribulation period, we're going to see that happen again. And I believe, and this is why I'm preaching this to you tonight, I believe that we're literally seeing the stage being set right now for these things to come into place. Not only did he make the water undrinkable, and the insects innumerable. How about this? Number three, we notice he made the weather unseasonable. Look at Psalm 78 again, verse 47. The Bible says, and he destroyed their vines with what? With hail and their sycamore trees with frost. He gave up their cattle also to the hail and their flocks to hot thunderbolts. Weather became unpredictable, impossible to to forecast. Boy, are we there right now. What is it? November the 11th. <laughs> Almost 80 degrees today. Now think about it. In 2020, 
we've now experienced 25 named storms when the average season is 12. Listen to this article. Listen to this article. Louisiana, Louisiana string of named storms kicked off June the 7th when Tropical Storm Cristobal hit southeastern Louisiana. Then came Tropical Storm Marco on August 24th, or yeah, August 24th, followed just three days later by the immensely powerful Hurricane Laura. And Hurricane Delta struck on October 9th, making landfall just 10 miles from where Laura did. As Zeta approached this week, about 3,600 people were displaced from Laura and Delta, and we now have Hurricane Ada, or Ida, however you say it, coming in right behind these. Did you, you see what's going on? Man, we're seeing that there's these unpredictable weather patterns. Somebody says, man, what in the world? Why is it 80 degrees in, in November? Why are we having hurricane after hurricane and, and storm after storm? And, and somebody says, well, it's the uh, global warming. That's what it is, the global warming. It's not the global warming. It's God. That's what it is. It's God. God is getting his earth ready for a tribulation period, for a time of judgment. And as we, clo as we draw closer to the coming of the Lord, I believe that normal and natural seasons and days will literally become a thing of the past. And so we notice here he made water undrinkable. He made these little insects innumerable. He made weather unseasonable. But see if this is not relevant. How about this number next? We notice he made the pestilence uncontrollable. Look, if you will, at verse number 50. Psalm 78, verse number 50. The Bible says he made a way to his anger. He spared not their soul from death, but gave their life over to the, to the pestilence. The word pestilence there in Psalm 78, 50, it literally means moraine. By the way, that word is mentioned in Exodus chapter 9 and verse number 3. When God sent a moraine, God sent a, a pestilence among all the cattle of Egypt. And the Bible says that literally all the livestock, every single, uh, every bit of livestock that Egypt had, cattle, horses, camel, all perished from the pestilence. But not only were the animals affected, but we notice here that the men were affected by pestilence. The Bible says that God sent a boil and that boil began to break out Upon me in Exodus chapter 9, verse number 14 says, For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart and upon thy servants and upon thy people, that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. For now I will stretch out my hand that I may smite thee and thy people with pestilence, and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. God sent pestilence. And there was nothing they could do about it. It was completely out of their control. There was no vaccine. It was just they didn't know what to do. And by the way, the reason they didn't know what to do is because God didn't want them to know what to do. And how many know that God can do what God wants to do? And if God wants to send COVID-19 on this earth, God can do that. God, God has full power. God is able. And so we notice that, that God sends this uncontrollable pestilence. Now we're done, but I want you to stay.
Stay with me just for a moment. Last of all, we notice he did one other thing. He made the angels to do the unthinkable. I think, I think that's just interesting. Following what God defined as pestilence, then came the end. So God sends this pestilence, and then after this pestilence, God sends one last plague, the plague of the Passover or the Passover angel, the death angel. And right after this, we notice that God's people were removed from Egypt. They were taken out of the, what the Bible sees as the world. Psalm 78, 49, verse 49. Look there if you will. The Bible says, He cast upon them the fierceness of His anger, wrath and indignation and trouble by sending evil angels among them. Of course, that's the death angel. The death angel made his way through the country of Egypt, killing every firstborn. And a lot of times we think about, when we think about the death angel coming through Egypt, we think about these little babies. We think about these little boys uh, perishing from the death angel. That it was a, that it was a, 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 it was a plague that just pretty much affected the younger children. That's not the case at all. Amen. That plague affected every firstborn. And so if you had a family that had several generations and maybe there was a great-grandpa still living and, and a grandpa living and one of those or maybe both, both of them, but they were, they were firstborn, you know what that meant? That meant a lot of the older people died as well. But yeah, you've got this little boy that had just been born to a new set of parents, firstborn, that little boy died. They also tell us that in Egypt that it's believed that the Egyptians were very, very immoral and very promiscuous. And that sometimes that it was known that maybe one Egyptian man would impregnate 10 different women. Think about it. All of those women, maybe that was the firstborn that they would give birth to and those firstborn children would all perish. Now you say, Pastor, how bad was that plague? Well, let me tell you how bad it was. Exodus chapter 12, verse 30 says it like this. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. Listen to this. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. That's pretty bad. There was not one solitary house in all of Egypt where someone didn't perish. Now, wait a minute now. God sent the plague, the pestilence. And then the Bible says that God sent angels. And those angels did the unthinkable. We already know this, according to Scripture, that during the tribulation period, God is going to use His angels. They're going to open the seals. They're going to pour out the vials. They're going to sound the trumpets. Every time a vial is poured out, there'll be another judgment placed upon the earth. Every time a trumpet sounds, there'll be another judgment that'll be pronounced upon the earth. And so this is speculation. Yeah. But I just can't help but wonder. I just wonder. Could it be, could it be that after this pestilence is over that it's time? For God to start sending his angels and for God to start pronouncing judgment upon this earth. I don't know. But I would say this. I believe, I believe we're seeing some signs. 
We have several folks in our church that are in the medical profession. And some of you folks that are medical professionals, you know what? You know the signs when someone's getting near the end of their life. There are certain sounds. There are certain sights. You begin to, you folks, you know what I'm talking about. You begin to look at their limbs and the color's not right. They get that death rattle. They get that far away look. And, and people and health professionals will say, it's not long. They're getting close to the end. Why, why do they know that? I can see the signs. You ever, did, you ever, did you ever go on a vacation as a kid? Well, we did. I can, remember, I can remember going to Florida. Our parents would take us to Florida. And as a kid, that seemed like the longest trip in the world. Eight or nine hours, but it seemed like an eternity. But you know what? We always knew when we were getting close. We always knew when the trip was almost at its end. You know why? We started seeing these signs. Had Mickey Mouse on them. <laughs> Minnie Mouse. Walt Disney World. We thought, yes, the trip's about over. Amen. We're almost at the end. Let me tell you something, church. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt. Setting dates? Nope. I have no idea when the Lord is coming, but I do believe this. I believe we're beginning to see the signs. I believe we're beginning to see the billboards. And if we've ever served Jesus Christ, if we've ever served Christ, we better serve him right now. And if you're here tonight or you're watching my way of live stream tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as personal Savior, I'm going to tell you what I would do. I would run to this altar tonight or I would find me a place in my bedroom or I'd pull my car over to the side of the highway and I would call out to Jesus Christ and ask him to save your soul tonight because, listen, you can disagree and agree with some of these things, but I'm just telling you, there's one thing that's for sure. Jesus Christ is coming. He's coming. He's coming. And I won't change that and you won't change that. And you won't change that. Jesus Christ is coming again. And I hope you're ready. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, thank you for this time we've had together this evening. Lord, I know this has been a little different tonight. God, I pray that you just help us. Lord, help us to understand. I don't think we got an abundance of time. Lord, if we've ever been a witness, we better be a witness now. God, if we've ever got, if, if, if we've ever been dedicated to the cause of Christ, we better be dedicated now. Because I believe, Heavenly Father, the curtain is about to go up. Lord, the stage, the props are being put into place. We're beginning to see the billboards on the side of the highway. And Lord, we're knowing that the journey is about to come to an end. Jesus is about to come. Father, I pray that you'll save that one that's nearest hell. And I pray that you'll encourage us as the children of God, Lord, to dedicate our lives to you and to serve you with all of our hearts. And our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed tonight. Can I ask just a question? I wonder if there may be one here tonight. I'm not, I wouldn't embarrass you for, for the world. But I'll tell you what I would like to do. I'd like to pray for you. I wonder if there may be one here tonight would say, Pastor, if I died tonight, I'm not 100% sure that I would go to heaven. I'm not sure that I'm ready for the Lord to come again. Preacher, please pray for me. 
I'll not embarrass you, but I sure would love to pray for you tonight. Would you just slip your hand up right now? Preacher, if I died, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. Would you pray for me? Is there one anywhere? Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you tonight? Preacher, remember me. Remember me. If you're watching by way of live stream tonight, oh, I want to encourage you. Give your heart to Christ. Don't wait another day. Don't wait another minute, but give your life to Jesus. I take it by that first question that everybody here tonight claims to be a born-again Christian. Hey, Calvary, are you ready for the coming of the Lord? If Jesus came tonight, if the trumpet of God sounded tonight, if this if, if this pestilence was the last billboard that we're to see before the journey ends, would you be ready to meet Christ? If not, I want to encourage you. Do what you need to do. Get with Jesus tonight. Make that decision that God's dealing with your heart about. Let's all stand tonight all around the house. Father, have your way in the invitation. Lord, save those watching by way of live stream tonight. Lord, they may not even be watching from America. But God, right now I pray that you would send Holy Spirit conviction and help them to know how much you love them and care about them. And I pray that tonight they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, realizing, Lord, that they're a sinner in need of a Savior realizing that God sent His only Son, Jesus, to come and to die for them, to pay for their sins, that they put Him in a grave, and three days later, God raised Him from the dead. Lord, that He's a risen Savior, a living Savior, and that tonight, if they'll put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for heaven, that He'll save them tonight. God, I pray they'll do that. And then, Lord, I pray that You'll work in our hearts tonight here at Calvary. God, help us to be ready for the coming of the Lord. Have your way in the invitation, please. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, we pray. We're going to keep our